we're going to keep moving right along here as we've been talking about the strategies of the adversary. And uh, actually, I believe that this is lesson number nine as we're coming through here. We're going to wrap up Colossians 2, and then we will uh, do some things next week in line with this issue, but, but more geared with Thanksgiving and so forth, and try to kind of tag a, tie a rag on the bush, so to speak, and kind of bring this and then uh, get ready for the new year. Colossians chapter number 2, we're down now in verse number 18. Let no man beguile you of your reward in a voluntary humility and worshiping of angels, intruding into those things which he hath not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind, and not holding the head from which all the body, by joints and bands, having nourishment, ministered, and knit together, increase with the increase of God. Our dear Father, we thank you for the morning, Lord. We thank you for your word. And as we look into it and as we study it, we would just let it be resonant with our inner man. In your name we pray, amen. As we continue looking here at these satanic strategies, we've really come down through quite a bit in verse 4. And this I say, lest any man should beguile you with enticing words. In that first attack in real time, I tried to make this a real, you know, real time. What's enticing words? Uh, flattery of speech, movement, you know, talk that's just, you know, you, have, have you ever heard people and you just go, wow, they can really, that was really good. And then when you actually pay attention to what they said, they said absolutely nothing. But, but it sounded really good. Okay, enticing words, and Paul answers that by, hey, no, let's not get distracted away from who you are. Remember who, who you are in Christ. Remember where you heard it from, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith as you have been taught, verse 7 says, um, abounding therein with thanksgiving. And that issue of Paul, and Paul, you know, Paul says, I come to you not with excellency of speech. Now, I don't come with you enticing words. I come with, to you with some rudimentary language, rudimentary, basic, right across the plate so you can hit a home run every time. I didn't come to you with the big $1,000 words, you know, fancy words that you learn in a school somewhere. I came with you with just here is what it is. And we, then we saw verse 8, Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the traditions of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. The next attack here, verse 8, is a loaded verse. And again, I told you as we go through this, I'm not looking at all the doctrine here because there's a ton of doctrine in all of this that needs to be far, uh, studied out and parsed out and everything. But I just want you to see the attack mode and the language of the attack. He's going to entice you. He, what's he going to use? He's going to use philosophy and he's going to use vain deceit after the traditions of men, after the rudiments. He's got a mode and a message and a mechanism. Philosophy, all that philosophy is is just how do you think about things? What's your philosophy of life? Are you a liberal or are you conservative? By the way, have you, ever know, have you ever done this? Take your dictionary out and look up liberal and what the dictionary defines that as. It isn't the political def definition, by the way. You take conservatism. Look that up. It isn't the political definition. It's very interesting when you look at words. And what does he say? I'm not using big words. What is your philosophy of life, guys? How do you think about life? Are you over here in the traditions of men and the rudiments of the world and how the world works and how religion works? Or are you living in verse 9 and 10? 
For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And you are, and ye are, what? Complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. Are you living in the completeness that you have in Christ? Completeness, mean, completeness means you're lacking nothing. You're all sufficient, he says in, in 1 Corinthians 9. You got it all. You're blessed with all spiritual blessings. You're not trying to gain the more. You're not trying to do more to get more. So there just went the traditions of men and the philosophy, all that out the window. No, you need to be right here where you are and learn who you are and live in who you are. And then last time we got down in verse 16, let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of a holy day or of the new moon or of the Sabbath days, which are a shadow of things to come. But the body is a shadow, not the real deal. All of that stuff that God gave Israel back there was just pictures of the real deal. And yet, what are you doing? You're back underneath that. You've allowed someone to drag you back under the ordinances that were against you. You've allowed someone to come and drag you back under the law. But the interesting thing is, look up at verse 14. What did you miss? Verse 14, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. What did Calvary do? It took care of that law system, the law requirements. It took care of it completely. So don't let someone come along and say, you can't eat meat on Friday. you got to eat fish. Or what are you doing eating meat? You can't eat, I love that, meat. Meat's a big word. How about you can't have pork? Wasn't that part of the Levitical system? No pork. No pork? No shrimp? What you talking about? You can't have this, you can't have that. Don't let someone do that. Why? Because he took all of those requirements and nailed them to the cross. The cross paid all of that requirements. So don't let someone drag you back. Now, verse 18, let no man beguile you of your reward in a voluntary humility and worshiping of angels. Wow, isn't that amazing? Don't let any man beguile. Don't let somebody trick you. Don't let somebody come along here and through so-called supernatural intervention where they're seeing angels and they've got a spirit supernatural event, which in reality is just simply going to be religious superstition. Don't let someone do that to you. Don't let someone come along and beguile you of your reward. I, I love that, your reward. Now, the term reward here has a context. What's the context that we've been reading about? The attack, right? The beguilement, the, 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 the bewaring, the moving away. But look at the end of verse 8. And not after who? Christ. Verse 9, for in him, who? Christ. Is the Godhead bodily, right? Verse 10, and ye are complete in who? Who's your reward, folks? Christ. You see, the reward here isn't some mansion up on the side of the hill in the north, north 40 of, the, of, heaven, of heaven, which is nonsense. Okay? 
Your reward is who you are in Christ. Your reward is this life that he gave you. Your reward is verse 11 and verse 12 and that operation of God by faith, that operation where he comes in and he separates you and he takes you away and he makes you who you are in him. And Paul says, don't let someone come along and take you back under, back out there into, uh, come over to 2 Timothy. I just, man, this passage is just, just helps a lot. 2 Timothy 2, don't let someone come along and take you away with enticing words. Don't let someone come along and move you away with, with philosophy and, let you, and, and choose to worship God the way you want to do it. Don't let someone come along and take you back under Israel's program. And now in verse 18, don't let someone come along and take you and use life and use supernatural intervention ideas to move you away and cause you to not be who you are in Christ. 2 Timothy 2 I think about that enticing words. Verse 14, of these things put them in remembrance, charging them before the Lord that they strive not about words to no profit, but to the subverting of the hearers. So we have words of no profit, and the result is the subverting of the hearers. Okay? Now drop down to verse 16. But shun profane and vain babblings. There's your words of no profit. There's your religious doublespeak. For they will increase unto more ungodliness in their word. And see, see this issue about word and words? They matter. They're important. Verse 18, who concerning the truth have erred, saying words to no profit, words to subvert the hearers that the resurrection is past already, and overthrow the faith of some. What is, that's exactly what's happening in Colossians 2. Used, the adversary has set into place some words, some structure that's designed to overthrow your faith. Now, again, he can't get you out of who you are in Christ. You're sealed there. Praise the Lord. But, man, he can sure make you not live as who you are. Now, look at 2.15. This is our verse, right? Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the what? The word. Wait a second. It's bracketed by words of no profit, isn't it? It's bracketed by speech and teaching and exhortation and admonishment that isn't the word of truth. It's scriptural. It's just not dispensational it's scriptural it's in the book but who's it written to and by and for and that's why it says rightly dividing the word of what truth not dividing truth from error you do that but taking the word of truth and putting it in the right position in the right condition characteristics belong here these characteristics belong here when I read this it belongs here when I read that it belongs here putting it where it belongs. So when you come back to Ephesians 2, I'm sorry, Colossians 2, verse 18, he says, look, guys, don't let someone come along and beguile you, trick you, make it look like you're missing something. Okay? How? In a voluntary, 
humility and worshiping of angels. Volun you know what a volunteer, volunteer don't get paid. Volunteer's out doing, isn't it? But volunteer humility, you know what that is? Man, it, this reeks of religion. You know why? Because in religion, you know what you are? You're humble and proud of it. Some of you caught it. Isn't that what you say? I am humble, and man, I am proud of it, doggone it. That's voluntary humility. In a minute, we'll get down and we'll see this issue about, uh, in verse 23, which things have indeed a show of wisdom and will worship. I'm worshiping my will, what I want to do, not what the Word of God tells me to do. I'm over here in me. It's all about me. And he says, don't let someone come along and move you away. Ephesians 4 over there, he talks about the slight of men, cunning craftiness, whereby they lie and wait to deceive. Ephesians 4.14. You guys know the game, Ephesians 4.14, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie and wait to deceive. You know that P in the, you take that little P or the ball and you put it under the cup and you got three cups and you do the abracadabra, zim, zam, zoom, you know, and you hide that. That's what he's talking about. It's under cup A and you go like this and you do it and it's really still sitting right there and there and then they miss it and you get their money, you know, rip them off. That's what he's doing. That's what they're doing with the truth though. They're saying, yeah, we're scriptural. Yeah, man, we're, we're in the book, man. We teach the book, but we're just not showing you the truth. Come back there to Colossians 2. The attack here. Let no man beguile you of your reward in a voluntary humility and worshiping angels, intruding into those things which he has not seen, vainly puffed up by his freshly mind, and not holding the head. And that's where the attack is designed to do. It's designed to drag you. It's designed to take you to not holding the head. Notice it's a capital H. We're talking about who? The Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Why would they? Why? Because he's your what? He's your life. Look at the rest of verse 19. From which all the body, by joints and bands, having nourishment ministered and knit together, increased with the increase of God. Well, how, how does the body nourish? How does it get going? Well, you know that. You're going to go here in a minute to lunch, and you're going to put food in your head, in your mouth. You don't stick it in your ear. You stick it in your head. Well, some of you might stick it in your ear. I don't know, <laughs> looking at the room. And, what and it feeds the body, doesn't it? You see, what? if you're not holding the head, if you're not holding the Lord Jesus Christ to where he is and who he is and everything that he's provided for you, given to you, then you know what you're going to be? You're going to be beguiled. You're going be, to be tricked away. You're going to be moved. And Paul says, I don't want that. And how they're going to do it in verse 18 is that issue of intruding into things that you don't see. The worshiping of angels. They're going to come in and they're going to say, I got a word from God, and what's going to happen? You go, oh, wow. And you know what God says? No, that's not from me. Right here, 
It's going to appear to be from God, and this is going to cause you to bring your experiences in rather than the Word of God rightly divided. Notice the issue, verse 18, voluntary humility. Come back with me to Isaiah 58. Watch Israel. Again, humble and proud of it. By the way, being humble is a good thing. Don't get me wrong. But it's when you are doing it in a, in a, in a uh, Isaiah 58, when you're doing it in a condition where, you're, where it's, it's not a good thing. You know, it's good to have humility. It's good to be humble. But, man, when you're doing it in a religious setting, okay, we're going to have to talk about that a little bit. Okay? Look at Isaiah 58. Look at verse 1. Cry aloud, spare not. Lift up thy voice like a trumpet. Show my people thy transgression, and the house of Jacob their sin. So who's the people? My people, Israel. We got Jacob. This is Isaiah talking. The Lord talking through Isaiah. Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways as a nation that did righteous. Notice that did righteousness. They're not doing it right now here in Isaiah. They did it. And forsook not the ordinances of their God. They ask of me the ordinances of justice. They take delight in approaching to God. Voluntary humility. They love approaching. You know what they love? They love going to church. They love the ritual. They love the ceremony. They love all of that. Wherefore have we fasted, say they, and thou seest not. What do they love doing? Fasting. It's interesting how they make fasting a religious thing. It wasn't in Scripture. Wherefore have we afflicted our soul, and thou takest no knowledge? We're over here, we're being voluntary humility. Here we are, we're humble, and you're not paying attention, Lord. We're fasting, and you're not paying attention. Behold, in the day of your fast ye find pleasure and exalt I'm sorry, and exact all your labors. Look at what they did. They delight in approaching to God. But they're just not doing it the way that God said for them to do it. They're coming in, and they're, 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 they took pride in their worship. They say, we're God, we're doing God, but yet you're not responding. We fasted, and where's the blessing? And you know what God said? You're, just, you're not doing it... The, you delight in the wrong thing. Your delight in the, and, and that's what he's getting at here in, in chapter 2, verse 18 of Colossians. You guys are in this voluntary humility. You've been beguiled by religion. And what religion has done now is they know that they can't beat, they can't get you 216. You're good to go. So now what do they do? They come in and they've intruded into things at which they have not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind. And what did they do? They introduced the worshiping of angels. Uh-oh. Take it easy, Rich. You're in my specialty zone now. No. When you come to angels, angel, angel, angelic worship, what are you doing? What are they doing? They're adding extra biblical information to the Word of God. So then what do they believe they do not have? The Word of God. You see? So they're dishonest. Because what do they say on one hand? Well, we have the Word of God. We're doing this. And then they say, well, no, we don't because brother so-and-so saw a 10-foot Jesus at the corner of his bed and he told him all this wonderful stuff. 
Not, see how, you know, you guys chuckle at that, but this is real for people. Notice, notice verse 18. Intruding into those things which he hath not seen. Do you, you see that phrase? In all of the new Bibles, that phrase is missing. They have pulled it out. That phrase only sits in a King James Bible. So you know what that phrase said? You know what the new Bibles out there say? Worshiping of angels, intruding into those things which, you see that he hath not seen, hath not seen, that hath not is what's gone, intruding into those things which he hath, what, seen. You see, every new Bible on the market out there says what? Extra biblical information is good to go. You come to a King James Bible, you know what it says? No, it ain't. Ooh, room got quiet. You see, what happens is, is people come in and they begin to say and they begin to use Bibles that allow you to bring in your experience. That's all that seeing an angel is, folks. You know, if you told me you saw an angel, I don't know, I have no way to say you're wrong in experiential discussion. I have a verse that says you're wrong, and I'll go by the verse. But I have no way to argue your experience. A man with an experience will beat the man with truth every day of the week. Because it's what? I experienced it. I know it's real. Are you sure? Because the Word of God says it isn't going to happen that way. You follow? You see? So, so now, we're, now we're talking about a Bible issue. Well, you know my answer to that. Get your Bible out, and if it exalts the Lord Jesus Christ doesn't take anything away from him, then you've got the Word of God. Problem is, is when you pull the new Bibles off the shelf, you know what they all do? They all detract from who the Lord Jesus Christ is. The only one that promotes who he is is a King James Bible. Now, the verse I go off of is a verse in Hebrews 10 and a verse in Psalms that Hebrews 10 is quoting that says, Lo, in the volume of the book it is written of me. That means that volume of the book better be nothing but about him. So then when you get them and they say that Joseph was his father, eh, he's not his father, sorry, Charlie, that book goes in the garbage can, sorry. Because what did it do? It detracted from the Lord Jesus Christ. That's an easy test. Can I ask you something? How are you forgiven? We're in Colossians 2. Look at Colossians 1. Just think about this. Colossians 1, verse 14, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Do you know what part of that verse is missing? His blood. It'll say, in whom we have redemption, even the forgiveness of and it misses through his blood. It's gone. It's not, and even in the New King James, just FYI to nail it, it's footnoted. Why would it, why would it be footnoted? It is. You got, what, what, what is the adversary doing here? He's using experience to come in now to cast a doubt into your thinking about something that someone's going to say I experienced as being real or not. Last night, we got up this morning. Linda goes, are you okay? I go, why? She goes, you had a rough night. I go, I did, didn't I? She goes, what happened? I said, I had a very bad dream. She goes, really, what happened? So I told her. 
And she goes, that's pretty bad. I said, yeah, it was bad. That's why I kicked you. <laughs> so apparently I kicked her. I don't know. You know, when, okay, I, I'm an aggressive sleeper apparently. When I worked at, uh, when I caught shoplifters for bashes, I had her, actually I had her in a handcuffed hold in the middle of my sleep. <laughs> Didn't know it. It took her kicking me in, in certain areas to get me to wake up, you know. So, but the thing is, what, what was that? It was a bad dream. And what do you hear people say? Well, your dream, dreams are really ah, da, 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 da. No, because you know what? Usually I don't dream. It's a blank slate. So I guess I got blank slates in there. I don't know. But if I tell you I have a dream and this means this and that means that, you all of a sudden, what do we, you have nothing outside of you to say it's right or it's wrong. The word of God sits outside of you in your experience, and says wrong, and says right. What did the adversary have to do then? Let's rewrite the book. Follow what's going on? All right? So what's being used here? Angels. Think about angels. Angels in Scripture, are they look like men. That's what they, they have no wings. Actually, the only winged angel. Okay, now I'm not talking about cherub or seraphim or teraphim. The, actually, the only winged angel carries the moniker of wickedness. So if you got a winged angel somewhere, you got wickedness on your hands. You go over in Revelation, and that angel standing there with John, he looks like a guy. Now, there are other races of the angels. The cherubs, they have wings, they fly. The seraphim, they got all... So when you think about an angel, what is the angel? Come over to Hebrews 1. Oh, you know what? I missed that, didn't I? Uh, get, get, yeah, go get Hebrews 1. We'll just do that. Hebrews 1. I don't know what happened to my... What do angels do here? Get Hebrews 1. Let's think about the angels for a minute. You got Hebrews 1? Look at Hebrews 1, look at verse uh, 13. For to which of the angels said he at any time, sit on my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. He never said that to an angel, okay? Are they, the angels, not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for them who shall be heirs of salvation? So what is an angel? They're what? Ministering spirits, okay? Now, on your way back to Psalms, start stop in 2 Timothy chapter 11. I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians 11. I got flustered there. 2 Corinthians 11. Now let's think about the adversary for just a moment. What is an angel? They are a ministering spirit. They're bringing the word of God. They're ministering it. You, you remember the, the Elijah, you know, fights with Baal and the angels come and minister to him. The Lord and the, and, and the temptation in the wilderness, and then the angels come. They minister. 2 Corinthians 11, watch verse 13. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. You know what? They look right. They smell right. They say the right words. They carry a Bible. They got it tucked up under their arm. They're scriptural, not dispensational. They're ministers. They're deceitful workers. They're false prophets. Now watch verse 14. And no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of what? Of light. 
Satan is not an angel. He's a cherub. Why would he transform himself into an angel? Well, what's he going to do with that? I have a word from God. I have a, I know something that you don't know that God wants you to know, but in order for you to know it, you've got to come and talk to me. That's what he did to Eve in the garden. He looks at Eve and says, yea, hath God said. And then he works it out and he gets over there and he goes, I know something that he doesn't want you to know. He doesn't want you to be like, and she's already like him. And he, well, I got the coat. I got the decoder ring. You just come and join. He's attacking. He leaves. He, he's transforming himself. Come over to Psalms 91. Thinking about the angels. I just picked a few verses just to give you an idea here about the angels. And, and really, I'll be honest with you, the angels don't belong to the church, the body of Christ today. They belong to the nation of Israel. And here's what they're to do. Uh, Psalms 91, verse 11. Psalms 91, 11, For he shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee in all thy ways. They shall bear thee up in their hands, lest thou dash thy foot against a stone. Now, the adversary uses that in Matthew in the temptation. Here, we talk, he's talking about Israel, but he's also talking about the Lord. But what are, what, are the, what are the angels going to do? What are they going to do there? They shall bear thee up in their hands... Verse 11, they're going to keep thee in all thy ways. They're there for protection, aren't they? They build that hedge about, don't they? So what do you have? Think about the angels. Just And we're not looking at all the verses, okay? What do they do? They're ministering spirits. They've come to bring the word of the Lord. Gabriel comes down. He's, a, he's the head of the ambassador corps, comes out of heaven, gives the word to Daniel. Boom, that's who he is. He's an angel. He comes, he does. Satan's usurped that. He's made himself into an angel to give uh, extra biblical information. Supernatural, here it comes. But then what are they also to do? Put a hedge about you. Protect you. You've seen the angels sitting on the dashboards of cars. Crazy thing I ever saw was an angel sitting on a dashboard of a car, and the car's whole front end crunched. I'm like, hey, okay, what happened there, you know? The angel fell asleep. Okay, there you go. I don't know. Well, but okay, but so what does religion say there? You didn't have enough faith. Really? There's nothing in Psalms there about having enough faith. That says it's going to do that. They're going to keep you. They're going to. So when you think about this, don't let someone teach you or talk you into or trick you into, I should say, that what you're seeing is supernatural. They're from, it's from God. There's something else at play here. Who's here? The adversary. And what's he doing? He's transforming himself into. He's getting you to think about intruding into those things that you have not seen. By the way, I'm going to be honest with you. If you saw an angel sitting in the room today, you would fall out. You would faint dead. They're that awesome. It'd knock you out. They're that beautiful. They're that wonderful that you would just lay you out. You wouldn't, humanly, you couldn't handle it. And, and now I'm not talking about her or him. 
All the husbands are looking at their wives. It's like, no, I'm not talking. Okay. Well, now I get the eye rolls. Okay. But see, the thing, but the thing is, is, I mean, you think about it. Now, watch Paul. Just Now, go back to Colossians. And just think about what we're, what we're learning here. What does Paul say? What does the word of God say? He says, you haven't seen that. You're walking, you're into stuff that isn't happening today in the age of grace. Did it happen in time past? Yes. Is it going to happen in the ages to come? Yes. It's just not happening today. Now, get 2 Timothy 3. Now, just hang in here with me, okay, and think this thing through because the adversarial attack, we've been walking through it, that fourth and final attack He's literally attacking the very word that you're basing everything on. What have we been reading? We've been reading the word of God. What have we been saying? Who we are in Christ. How do I learn that? I go study Romans 6, 7, 8, Colossians, Ephesians. I get all this study. But if I don't know I have the word of God, then what do I never come to know? The truth, who I am in Christ. You see, that ultimate attack... In Colossians, in real time, drags you back to Genesis 3, yea, hath God said. That's his attack. Now, he hoped to get you with all the other stuff, the other three. He didn't get you. So now what does he do? Let's see if I can't cause them doubt. Let me see if I can't get them to doubt the word of God. And how you know how I'm going to do it? I'm going to have people come up, and they're going to give an experiential, supernatural event, true and boom. And folks, I'm not discounting it. Don't, don't get me wrong. I had a dear gentleman talk to me one time. He said, so you're telling me that when I was in my airplane in World War II, shot down over Germany, and I saw the hand of God come out of the cloud and rescue me and gently get me down, that that wasn't the hand. And I said, it's what I'm telling you. And he goes, based on what? And then we ran these verses. And I said, based on the word of God, which stands outside of you, he, the, divi- the author is divine, says that he didn't do that. Then he says, then what was it? I said, I don't know. It could have been adrenaline. It could have been stress. It could have been anything. And I said, well, did your parachute work? He said, yes. I said, I think it was your parachute. I don't know. I don't know. I just know what it isn't. How? Based on the word of God. 2 Timothy 3. 2 Timothy 3. These are some of the verses that I used with him. I use them with you. Verse 16. What does it say? All scripture is given. Isn't that interesting? Is all scripture given? Yeah. How is it given? By inspiration of God. God spoke it. He uses human authors to write it down. All the translation, yeah, think about that. God in deity language translated it into Hebrew or Greek, who then wrote, who then caused man to, I mean, think about that. He went from deity language into human language. I don't think he has a problem with translations. I think they're okay. The concept is not a foreign one. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is what? Profitable 
For what, though? For my experience. For doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. You see, you don't need a special message from the Lord. You've got a completed word. You've got all scripture. You've got it right here. What does he do? That the man of God. Why is all the scripture given? What's the purpose for it? Why is it here? Why is it that when you walk into this room, the banner across that double door says, Yea, what, what saith the scriptures? Why is that what we look at and study and bend our noses over and our backs on and, and study this out? Why don't we have all that mega church stuff in the rooms packed and all that? Why, you know, people say, why are you so small? I said, because we study the Word of God. Well, we do too. No, you don't. You study books about the Word of God. He goes, no, I don't. I said, yeah, what's, in, what's going on in your small group? Well, right now we're reading a book by Dr. I said, see, you're reading a book by Dr. So-and-so. Well, what are you doing in your small group? We're studying Romans, man. What do you mean? What are we doing? Our Bible study on Monday nights. <laughs> That's our small group. <laughs> they don't know that, but uh, that gets me out of hot water sometimes. Well, wh- why that? The purpose, the intent that the man of God may be what? Perfect. Well, okay, well, what does that mean? Thoroughly furnished unto all good works. doesn't say perfect and sinless and never mess up and never do. It says, hey, the goal of Scripture is to take the man of God and to perfect them, mature them, grow them up so that when they go into life, they can live as who they are in Christ. And you know what Satan says? No, it doesn't. I got a special thing over here. And you don't have it. So, nah, 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 nah. And if you want it, then you can come over here and be a part of us, and you'll get it to you. But you've got to leave that. You've got to jettison that old King James Bible. It's an interesting thing. I get email stuff from people, and old. And they're always trying to replace that. Do you know the NIV? They never say we're replacing the old NIV when they do their revisions. I'm, they don't. But they're always after the old King James. It's interesting. Why? Here it is. Come over to Ephesians. So you know what? First of all, you don't need an angel to bring you the word of God. You have the completed. Come over to Ephesians 1. Okay? What does Paul say? What does Scripture say? Scripture says you don't need the ministering spirits to bring you the word. You don't need that. You have the word of God. You have it all. Folks, we stand today in this century. What is this? The 21st century? 21st century? where no one else has ever stood in humanity, and that is we have the completed Word of God. In the Lord's day, the Word of God was not complete yet. Paul gets it done, first century, bam, what's happened? It's done. Now, look at Ephesians 1, because what else did the angels do? That hedge of protection, right? We got you protected. We won't let your foot dash. Well, look at this guy, Ephesians 1.13. Do you need physical protection today? Well, I'm going to tell you, no, you don't. Why? You got something a little better. In whom you also trusted, after that you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and whom also after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession, under the praise of His glory. You know what? Why in the world would you be so worried about the bellhop the angel, when you've got the CEO sealed and secured you. Well, but Rick, bad things happen. 
Yeah, it's called life. It's called Romans 8. It's called a sin-cursed creation. That's why bad things happen. Why don't bad things happen to good people? No, bad things happen. Why? It's called life. I'm sealed, but where am I sealed to? Until the what? The day of redemption. And you know how I know that day is going to happen? Because who do I have? I have the third member of the Godhead as my guarantee. I'll take that any day over an angel. You're in Ephesians, look in chapter 3. Chapter 3. You see, folks, we live in the capsule of the Holy Spirit. That's where our life is hid. It's hid with, with Christ and God. And the Holy Spirit comes in. I know what happens. We get sick. We hurt. We get old. We die. Happy, happy, happy. woo <laughs> Proper viewpoint. And you know what you will say? Happy, happy, happy. 2 Corinthians 4, you go down through that, and you understand that that hurt for the moment. It's a light affliction. No, it's not, Rick. It hurts. It's heavy. It's hard. I didn't say it wasn't. The verse doesn't say. It's the perspective of it. What's my perspective to be? It's going to work for me a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Why? Because I don't look at that. I look at the things that are not seen. I'm walking by faith. I'm looking at what's real. And what's real is in this moment, I can let who I am in Christ live out in it. As I get the diagnosis of whatever. Or as I stub my toe coming around the corner. Whatever it is. I can look at that and I can say, you know what? Nay, in all these things I am more than... You see, that's a different perspective. It didn't say it didn't hurt or didn't happen, you know. It's appointed unto man once to what? Die. It's going to happen if the Lord tarries. It's perspective. You got Ephesians 3? Look at verse 16. That he, and that's the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his Spirit on the inner man. Oh, no, preacher. Where? In. He's not working on you. He's working where? In you. Philippians, and I messed this up, so i got to read it. Philippians 2, verse 13, For it is God's, it's God which worketh in you, both to will and to do his Good pleasure. You know where he's working? He's working on in you. Philippians 2.13. Sorry. He's working inside you. Because then inside can do what? Controls then everything else. You see, the attack in Colossians 2, 18 and 19, that attack is designed to move you away from holding the head. You're in Ephesians still, maybe? I don't know. Go back over there to... Well, just go to Colossians 2. We've got to wrap this up. You see, folks, what religion does. Oh, you know what? <laughs> you got Colossians 2? Stick something in there. Go back to Acts 17. Acts 17. Sorry. It's my head. It's my brain. I'm still in that dream. We're fighting. <laughs> By the way, in the dream I lost, so I don't like that. So we're going to rewrite the dream, okay? Look at Acts 17. 
Folks, the attack is designed to move you away from holding the head by causing you to look to personal experience rather than living in who you are in Christ. Acts 17, Paul stands there in verse 22 in the midst of Mars Hill, and he said, Ye men of Athens, I perceive that in all things ye are too superstitious. What a great description of religion. Too superstition. For as I passed by and beheld your devotions, I found an altar with the inscription to the unknown God, whom therefore ye, notice, ignorantly worship. Him declare I unto you. You know what they did? They made a little moniker, called it the God of the Bible, because they don't know who else to call him. And they're over here doing this and that, and Paul says, you ignorant, superstitious so-and-so. Now let me talk to you about him. And he lays into him. So when you come back to Colossians 2, that's what's happening here. The attack, the ultimate manifestation of the movement of the adversary and his strategies against you is to move you away from holding the head, which is where we get our nourishment, which is where we get our all. And he does it by bringing in experience and supernatural things and getting you away from God said. And let's move on with it. Now, real quick, we got two minutes, verse 20. Wherefore, I love that, wherefore, if ye be dead with Christ from the rudiments of the world. Now, the if there. It's really, it's not an if a question, because are you dead with Christ from the rudiments of the world? Yeah. It's an if of a challenge. I'm going to challenge you guys. If you are who you say you are in Christ, why, as though living in the world, are you subject to ordinances, touch not, taste not, handle not, which are all to the parish with the using, after the commandments and doctrines of men, isn't that interesting? Paul says, look at who you are. Let's live there. Satan's going to come up. And if that's the case, guys, if who you say you are in Christ, and it is, if you've had the operation of God take you and circumcise you with a circumcision made without hands, set you free from that old sin nature, come over here and give you a new nature and a new life and set you free to serve and worship him, then what in the world are you doing in that mess over there? Why are you in this? Why are you touch not, taste not, handle not? The three monkeys. Monkey see, monkey do. Monkey wish he could. <laughs> what are you doing in that? So now watch verse 23. Which things have indeed a show of, now well, look at that, wisdom. Oh, You know why you're stuck over here in this religious camp? It makes you look wise. But what is it? It's a wisdom of, in, in will, worth whose will? Your will. 2 Timothy 2, Paul tells Timothy that the servant of the Lord must be gentle, apt to teach, the end of that chapter there, down in that path. And he says that those that oppose themselves have to rescue themselves from the snare of the devil and from his will. 
He's got a will for you. And you know what he's doing? Will, worship, and humility, and neglecting of the body, not in any honor to the satisfying of the... You know what that is? That is all religion. Think about that. And neglecting of the body. There's a big church in California. Big preacher wrote a big book. Rick Warren, Grace Driven, Grace Purpose Life, all that. You know what that man did? He went on a diet. He found a diet. He promoted a diet. That whole church went on that diet with him. Raised millions. That's not that is called neglect, not neglecting the body. Now, is it good to be on the diet? Sure. But do you know why the people went on the diet? Because of him. I read the testimonies from the people. See, that's a religion. I'm in here. What did the preacher say? Let's go do that. Boom. Neglecting of the body. You know religious groups that have where they beat on the body and they flog and they do all that stuff? Why do they do that? Get a little closer to God. Dude, you're as close to God as you'll ever be. You've got his son dwelling in you. You've got his spirit dwelling in you. And the father dwells in you. Well, we got to do something because it's just, no, you know what you do? You relax. And you just be who you are in Christ. And you come along and you learn that. And when the rules come up, when growing up, well, over the rules, hey, should we go to movies? Here's an old one for you. Should you listen to rock and roll music? <laughs> That's way back, right? But what happened? By the way, you know that those conversations are still had today in certain circles. They are. Oh, well, you know, they're, no, but they are. Why? Because it's having dominion over. One more verse and we're done. Galatians 5. And this is all out of whack, so you just take it for what it's worth because we want to move on. What's his strategy? His strategy is to come along and use enticing words, fancy speech, smooth operator to cause you to believe the Apostle Paul, who, by the way, wasn't a smooth operator by his own account. The Corinthians look at him and say, this guy's contemptible. He's ugly. I mean, could you imagine if you've been beaten like three times with rods? I think you would be a little bruised. Stoned, left for dead. You know, they, don't ha they didn't have a, a minute clinic to go get fixed. You were, they were setting it on the side of the road hoping it would, you know. I, I think about that. I think about that stuff in 2 Corinthians 11, that list there that he, he went through. No wonder he was not exactly the best-looking guy on the, on the platform. He was beat up. Why was he beat up, though? For maintaining the truth and for preaching the truth and for being the apostle. Satan says, if I can get you away from him by using something else, someone else, then I've won. Paul says, don't do that. Know where you've been rooted and grounded. Know how you're going to walk. The adversary says, that's okay. I got a little philosophy. I got a little thing. And again, enticing words, philosophy. If you listen to philosophers, you know, professors, they use them big fancy words. Makes you go look up. I listened to a guy about two months ago. I was two minutes in his little speech. I've done paused it eight times and looked up ten words. Seriously, because he's using, I'm like, what in the world is that? Get you. 
Paul says, don't do that. Don't leave. It's not after Christ. Who are you in Christ? Remember who you are in Christ. Then he comes along and says, that's okay. I'll just get you to drag you back underneath Israel's program. So I'll get you back under Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Or I'll take you out and put you in the book of the Revelation, which is where a lot of them are at today. Anything to keep you out of Romans to Philemon. We'll put you over there. You know what Paul says? Don't do that. You know what God says? Don't do that. He goes, all right, if that don't work, then I'll just mess with the Scriptures. And if I can mess with the Scripture and get you to cause you to think about the Scripture wrong and go based on personal experience and supernatural events that really never really happened, you know, the, uh, my joke is, is you, you had bad pizza the night before. You had a little tummy ache, okay? Or maybe you had a little too much of the Jose Cuevo, and there you go, you know, who knows? So what does Paul say? How about Galatians 5, verse 1? Stand fast, therefore, in, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. You see, folks, we ought to stand fast. We ought to build into our inner man what then Paul goes on in Colossians 3 to discuss with us. And in Colossians 3, he says, If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affections on things above, not on things on the earth. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. We ought to stand fast in the liberty, and we ought to be holding the head. Because he's where our life is hid, and he's our all in all. And he, and he alone, is what's going to enable us to live in this wonderful world we live in. And as we redeem the time, and as we do, and as we learn, and as we grow, we do it because we're standing fast in the liberty we have in Christ. Okay? Those are the four attacks. They are real, as real gets, and I try to use real illustrations. The Lord has done something wonderful for you and I, though, in Ephesians 6. He gave us some armor to wear in these attacks. And we're going to look at that, take a couple weeks, look at that, okay? All right, Heavenly Father, we thank you for the morning, Lord. We thank you for your word. Lord, I just thank you for everyone that's here, their willingness to come, to study, to look into these things. And, Lord, I just hope they'll resonate in their inner man, give them something to think about, something to consider, look into, and then be on guard against. In your name we pray. Amen.